Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, I have a great pleasure and uh, honor to introduce someone to you today that's going to be bringing the word for us. I want to introduce uh, Pastor Doug and his wife, Dana Hickson. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Doug and Dana. They're from L.A., the same L.A. that I'm from. Lower, actually, Doug is. Dana's not. But they're from the same L.A. that I'm from. If you don't know where I'm from, I'm from Lower Arkansas. It is the pinnacle of culture in the world. (laughs) And from it, everything else flows out. That's all I'll say about it. Um. He's not from the same town, but from the same region of the world, one county over. And so, um, uh, Doug and I uh, attended Washita Baptist University together, uh, and then he's a couple of years younger than me. Uh, and then later, Southeastern, or excuse me, Southwestern Theological Seminary together. And uh, through those years, we got to see God prepare us. Doug said to someone this morning, we were in the same academic cohort. And I said, don't tell people that. That's not a compliment for you. (coughs) They're going to sniff that one out really quick. But let me tell you why I'm so excited to get you, uh, to let you hear from him today. Uh, About 12 years ago, God called Doug and Dana from their place. You'll hear more about this in a moment. Their place in ministry to plant a church. And they moved to Spearfish, South Dakota, and planted Connection Church there in Spearfish. They pastored it for eight years, and over those eight years, started a movement of church planting in South Dakota, out of which, over the last 12 years, eight churches have been planted. Now, if you just want to put that in, in perspective, what you need to understand is that is a very intense number of church plants in a very short period of time. Four years ago, the Lord called them away from South Dakota back to Texas, that great nation of Texas. So they tell me. Of course, they lost to Arkansas this year, so I just have to throw that out there. Amen. Um, he left and the church continued and continued to plant churches. That, that's the greatest compliment of pastoral leadership there. If they do better when you leave than when you were there, uh, you did everything or you did many things right. I know you didn't do everything right. I know you better than that. He led church planting for the state convention of Texas for four years. And then in the end of June, God called them again to move to Longmont, Colorado and plant a church. So they are in the process since the end of June of planting Connection Church in Longmont, Colorado. When I heard through our connection that they were going to plant again, I messaged him and I said, I don't know what you're doing and when you're doing it, but I want to be a part of it. Our church wants to help. There are church plants that we as a church come alongside and support, sponsor, we may even be the sending church for them. And there is so much good that we as a church can resource them with, whether it's funding or training, coaching, uh, help, anything like that, we can pour into them. And we've done that a number of times. But there are some churches that God gives us the opportunity to come alongside that are going to teach us more than we're going to bless them. 
This is one such church plant why I was so eager to partner with Doug and Dana in this work. He is an experienced, skilled person. He is a humble heart before the Lord. And I'm excited for us to get to watch what God does in Planting Connection Church in Longmont by partnering with them. And so you're going to hear him preach the word to us today. Afterwards, I want you to come to the North Community Room and get just a couple of their uh, pieces of information so you can track them on their newsletter uh, to be able to um, follow up and pray for them on a regular basis and, uh, and just see how the Lord uh, begins to use them not only in Longmont but to bless us and encourage us as he strengthens us through that work as well. Doug, would you come and let me pray for you before you take off. Let's pray together, church. Father, thank you so much for Doug and Dana and the blessing that it is to have them with us this weekend. And even more so, Lord, the the great privilege that it is to uh, partner with them in this great work. Father, I pray that you will bless them and encourage them today from their time with us. May their lives be marked with the strength of heart by your spirit that comes from our fellowship. And may our fellowship be marked with a conviction of calling and commissioning to never relinquish the zeal to see the gospel go all the way to the ends of the earth, beginning across the street. In every way, Holy Spirit, impress upon our hearts and our lives today all that you have for us in this passage from Pastor Doug. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, good morning. It is good to be with you. I I do love your pastor and his family and have known them for years. And uh, if if you don't recognize, you are blessed beyond measure to have them leading here. And so, uh, you know, this is Pastor Appreciation Month. And so uh, I think that Lane needs a new yoga mat uh, or something. Uh, But uh, yeah, make sure you love on them. They are great people and you have a great staff here. And this is a wonderful church and it's my honor to be here. Before we get started, can we just loosen up just a little bit? Will you look at your neighbor uh, and just tell him, I'm glad you got to see me today. Now, now look at your second choice and say, well, I'm glad you got to see me as well, right? Hey, it's good to be together. It's good to be in God's house, and I'm excited to be here today. Uh, Dana and I have uh, been in ministry for uh, quite a while, as Lane kind of told a little bit of our story, uh, and, and that's actually what I want to share with you today. We are, uh, we are planting a church for the second time. If you know anything about church planting, then you know that uh, you, you do it once because God told you to do it. You do it the second time because you've completely lost your mind, uh, but in all seriousness, because God has called us to that. We're excited to be a part of that. And we moved to Longmont, Colorado, uh, which if you know Colorado, we, we live on the north side of Denver, uh, just to the foothills of the Rockies. And so if we have a bad day, we just look to the left, right? And uh, the mountains are there. It's a beautiful place. But the, the staggering statistics of where we live are that, that uh, they, they tell us that 92% of our region is lost or unchurched. That means nine out of 10 people I meet either don't know Jesus or they're, they're running from Jesus. Uh, that we live in a place that is considered the third loneliest region in the nation. Our teen suicide rate is three times the natu- national average. So although I live in an extremely beautiful place that literally is breathtaking, uh, yet there is so much darkness. Um, we, uh, we have a 
a similar environment that you do, uh, that uh, there are marijuana dispensaries everywhere. There are actually more marijuana dispensaries than there are McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell, Starbucks, all combined in our city. So there's actually more uh, uh, availability to pot than there is to Jesus in my city. So we have to be very careful of how we explain things. So like church potlucks, kind of a little bit different. (laughs) Got to set some boundaries, you know. Green rooms get lit, you know, it's just all, you got to be careful with your, how you speak about things, but in all seriousness, there's one marijuana dispensary for every 2,100 people, there is one evangelical church for every 32,000 people where I live. So people move to Colorado, and everybody's moving to Colorado, actually, it feels like more and more every day. And they come so that they might find a natural high or they might experience something in nature, looking for peace in their heart. And you and I both know, if you're a follower of Jesus, that they can't find that high on a mountain. They can't even find that high in a drug. And so they, get, uh, they become people of despair. And there is a darkness that fills our land. So why would we move to a place like that? Why, why would we move from, uh, now twice, we moved from an established church that was growing and doing well. Why would we leave uh, a, a work where we were helping churches plant churches? Why would we do that to, to go to a place where, honestly, when we rolled into Longmont, Colorado, there was no parade and welcome for the Hickson family? In fact, I told people, I'm not sure they may even burn us at the stake in the center of town. I have no clue how we're going to be received. Why would we do that? Here's here's simply what I want you to understand. The favor of the Lord and the greatest place that you can ever be is in the center of God's will. So if that's in a place that we think it should be or if it's in a place that we've never been, that's where you need to be. So I don't know God's will for your life. I've been waiting for all of my days for that FedEx package to show up at my door that has the plan for all of my life. (laughs) I'm still waiting on that package, but here's what I know every day. I trust the Lord with all my heart and know that he has a plan for me. So I want this morning just to take a few minutes to look at Acts chapter 1. If you have your Bible or your mobile device, please turn with me to Acts chapter 1. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit of our story Because Acts chapter 1 is where now twice God has taken us to the place where Dana and I and our family have decided that we're going to move to a place to plant a church where there is not a strong enough gospel influence and that we can share the gospel with people who need to know Jesus. Acts chapter 1 is written by the the Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke was uh, hired by a man named Theopolis to write the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament and the book of Acts. The Acts uh, account is the the account of uh, the New Testament church of which we as a church are a descendant of. And he wrote the Gospel of Luke to tell of who Jesus was and what he did. And so when we read chapter 1 of the book of Acts, it begins with, a note to Theopolis, but it begins with Jesus who is standing with his disciples. Now, the the context that you need to understand is that the disciples have been on this incredible up and down. They have been on this emotional journey that you cannot forget. 
They, they were called out by Jesus to be followers of him. They had watched his earthly ministry for three years. They understood that he was the Messiah uh, that, that was coming to save the world. And then they watched that Messiah and that leader and that hero of their heart be crucified, naked on a cross, embarrassed in front of the world, completely, not completely understanding, and then he's buried in a tomb, and they thought that was over, and then he rises again, and now he shows up physically with them. So like they're, they've been on this emotional roller coaster, and that's where we jump into Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 day, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's pause right there for just a second because I want you to understand the context. Jesus shows up and he uses this language which they were familiar with, to talk about a gift that God wanted to give. He said, listen, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the gift that was given to us by God to help us know right from wrong, to know the daily, moment-by-moment ways that we should be following God. So Jesus said, listen, don't leave. You're about to experience the greatest gift that we could give you apart from salvation. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to be your God. And he uses this word to be baptized with, with intention. I believe God, Jesus was clarifying in this moment because he didn't want us to misunderstand because there, there are religious beliefs out there that, that say that the Holy Spirit kind of comes and goes. The Holy Spirit, uh, you, you may get a piece of him today and then if you're not good enough, then he may leave and you gotta ask him to come back. Listen, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches that when you come to faith in Christ that you get all of the Holy Spirit that you're ever gonna get. And so he uses the word baptism because baptism is the picture of, of our full commitment to Jesus Christ. You know, the water that you're baptized in isn't holy. It's not best by, blessed by a priest or a pope or, or something like that. It's the same thing you put in your bathtub and, and it's, it's not holy, but, but it is an expression of what has happened on the inside. Baptism doesn't save you. Jesus saves you, right? And so when, when you're baptized, you're telling the world of what Jesus has done on the inside of you. So just like you guys, we, we have pastored several churches where we didn't have a built-in baptistry. We roll in a tank of some sort. So I pastored a church in the Panhandle of Texas, and, and uh, we, we, would, we would baptize in a, in a portable tank. And so typically on the days that I, I did baptism, uh, we, we, I had some men who would help with that, and I would come and check it and make sure the water was the right temperature and that we had everything ready, and I got distracted one day and didn't get to check, and I step up to do a baptism for a young boy of about seven or eight years old, and I, I looked down in the water, and I immediately recognized a problem. 
that there is not enough water in the tank. So I got all these theological breakers tripping in my mind. Like we can't, you know, baptism isn't sprinkling. Baptism is full immersion. That's what we believe. That's what Jesus did. We're following the, the ways of Jesus. And so I'm looking down and I'm trying to figure out, well, this is a kid. Maybe it's enough water. It, it looks like it's low. And he gets in and, and you know, you do the, the thing that said, you baptize your name, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I lay him down and I look down and he is smiling up at me completely dry on his face. And so I did what, what I thought was the right thing in the moment. And with, with my left hand, I create a wave. And so it covers him completely. So theologically, I'm like, hey, just like Jesus, fully immersed, I bring him back up. I think everything's, you know, mama's here and grandma and the whole family and everybody's clapping and they're all happy for him. And I preach a sermon and at the end of the service, I go to the back door to greet people and there's two deacons waiting for me at the back door and they were like, what did you do to that kid? Like, what are you talking about? Man, you held him under forever. Like, make him bubble. Like, we're, we were nervous. Like, if you're too much of a sinner, maybe you're going to hold us under for a little bit longer. So it was funny, but, but here's what I want you to understand. Listen, when you come to Jesus, Jesus doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. So when we baptize, we don't sprinkle a piece of you. We, you are fully immersed because that is a picture of you being dead in your old ways and risen new in Christ. So you are a new creation in Christ. So Jesus says, listen, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's going to give you this gift. Now look at verse 6. He said, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the nation of Israel, the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now let's stop right there. There was this mindset that the disciples were confused about. There was, a, there was a belief in the religious world that the Messiah would come and he would be a military leader. That when the Messiah came, that literally God would conquer the whole world with this leader, this Messiah, and there would be a physical kingdom set up in the name of God that would conquer all of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but God rarely does things the way I think he should. You know, if God called me tomorrow and said, Doug, have you got an opinion on how you think your life ought to go? Well, just take a, take a seat, Jesus. I got a plan, you know. But listen... God's plan is rarely my plan, but God's plan is always better, right? So Jesus did not come as a military leader. Jesus was born in a little bitty town. In fact, they question how could the Messiah come from this place? And so when, when God did what he did, the, the, the disciples and even the religious community were confused because the Messiah, why is he not conquering? And so that's why they asked this question in verse 6, Lord, Will you at this time, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And then, now this is my translation, this is not biblical, so please don't write this as the gospel truth, okay? But here's how I translate it. Jesus said, well, bless your heart. I don't know, if, if you didn't grow up in the South and someone says bless your heart to you, they are not giving you a compliment. So when I pastored in South Dakota, I told our church that one day, and there was like this audible gasp when I told them, they're really saying you're an idiot. Bless your heart. <laughs> you're not smart enough to know what you should be doing. Jesus, in a way, in love, he doesn't say they're stupid. He said, listen, it's not for you to know. 
So if you've ever had a job where somebody said, you know, that information is above your pay grade, that's kind of what Jesus said. Jesus said, listen, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to try to figure out what God's detailed plan is. Your job is to be faithful and obedient and trust me. And so they wanted, they were ready for, for Jesus to come in and essentially like wipe clean everything and to set up a kingdom. And here's what Jesus says. Look at verse eight. I'm gonna do things in a different way. But you, you receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what Jesus says is two very important things that I don't want you to miss. There's two important words in verse 8, the word power and the word witnesses. The word power, it actually comes from uh, the Greek word dynamis that we get our word dynamite. So as, as Lane said, we, we grew up in lower Arkansas, and if you want to know where things get a little crazy, just, just keep going south. I mean, Louisiana's more south than us. It gets crazier the further south you head. But, but when I was around dynamite when I was growing up, it was almost like, hey, watch this. And then it was an explosion that was out of control. And so that was my reference of, you know, Bubba going, hey, I'm going to see if I can blow this stump 50 feet in the air and it would go 100 feet in the air. And, you know, he's only got three fingers anyway because he doesn't know what he's doing. But that's my experience and understanding of dynamite is kind of like this uncontrolled and we hope nobody gets killed type of deal. When we moved to South Dakota, people know South Dakota for a few things, uh, one of which is if you're a pheasant hunter, you know that South Dakota's got a lot of really good pheasant hunting. Other thing that people know about South Dakota is that that's where Mount Rushmore is. So we went to Mount Rushmore when we moved there, uh, and I was really kind of amazed that the faces weren't bigger. But anyway, if you've ever been there, you understand. But it's an incredible artistic uh, accomplishment that happened, and if you didn't know this, uh, 90% of the rock that was removed to carve the faces of Mount Rushmore was done with dynamite. So I've got this picture of Bubba using dynamite to blow stuff up, and they came up with a uh, strategy to use dynamite where they literally could come within just a few inches of the final product to remove the rock that created the incredible artistic uh, faces that we see on Mount Rushmore today. So when we talk about the dynamic power that God wants to give us in verse 8, Jesus said you will receive power. He's not talking about uncontrolled things that we're not sure what's going to happen. He's talking about a controlled power that literally will change the landscape of your life and your heart that will create you to be the person that God wants you to be. You'll receive power. And then he said, you will be my witnesses. The, the word witnesses comes from a, a Greek word that actually is what we would uh, compare with a legal terminology of swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And so he says, you're going to receive power, dynamic, supernatural power that will not only change who you are, but will change, change the landscape of your life, but you're going to be my witnesses and you're going to be compelled to tell the story because if you look in verse 8, it's not a question of should you or might you. It says, you will be my witnesses. You see, we tell stories regularly. My question for you and for me is what is the greatest story that we tell? Because listen, hey, I, I got some stories to tell. I, I love my wife, Dan, and I've been married. In just a few weeks, we'll celebrate 27 years of marriage. I told her if she's leaving, I'm going with her, right? 
Like, I, if you leave me, I'm like stalker. You're going to have to get somebody to, to hunt me down and shut me up because I'm with you forever. I got two great kids. I got a 21-year-old son and an 18-year-old daughter. And if you want to hear me talk about my kids, just stand around me for about four minutes. And I love them, and they are awesome, and I am blessed to have a great family, but that's not my greatest story. The greatest story is what Jesus has done for me. The greatest story is the grace that I have received that's changed who I am. Now, which story do I tell more? See, because Jesus said, you're going to receive power and you will be my witnesses and you will tell your gospel story about how Jesus has changed your life. What's the greatest story that you tell regularly? Jesus goes on, though. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you're not careful, we kind of miss this because you may not understand not only geography, but you may not understand what Jesus was saying. Because part, part of what we usually think about is that Jesus was, was essentially... Uh, painting a, a picture on a map. He was saying, Jerusalem, that's your hometown. Judea is kind of your area or your nation and, and then the, to, to the world. But you, you miss that there is something very important that they understood when he said it. Because Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And when he said Samaria, there's like this. Now, now, <laughs> hold on, Jesus. Are you telling me the gospel is for them? Are you telling me that those people deserve your grace? Newsflash, racism wasn't created in 2020. Newsflash, there, there have been societal separation since the beginning of time. What happened in that moment is Jesus kick the door down on people's hearts saying, you think you're too good for everybody else. See, if we're not careful, church, those of you who know Jesus, we can act as if everything's okay in our lives and we can miss the opportunity that, uh, of understanding that if it were not for the grace of Jesus, we would all be on the road to hell. And so Jesus in this moment, like, I'm not sure political correct was even in his vocabulary. He didn't care because he loved the whole world. So he says Jerusalem, that's the people that, that kind of live in our neighborhood and they vote the way we do and they watch the same news channel that we watch and, and they act like we do and they make them may, may be in the same income level and do the same activities that we do. But what he said was it's for people who don't look like you. It's for people who don't vote the way you vote. It's for people who don't, um, who don't act the way you act. Sometimes I'm afraid that if you're a Christian for too long, you begin to think that you deserve grace. Listen, grace is amazing because God puts up with our mess. Amen? So Jesus in this moment, he, he literally splits the crowd in my mind because what he says is it's for everybody. Because he, he, he says not only some geographic points, but then if you didn't understand, the last few words of that verse say to the ends of the earth. So that's everybody. Jesus in this moment says, listen, the gospel is for everybody. The message, the power comes upon you and you will be my witnesses for the whole world. And if I'm really honest, this is where I used to stop preaching this passage. 
And, and I've read the, the, the book of Acts many times, but I missed the life-changing verses for me in verses 9 through 11 because, like, what do we do? Well, we go and we tell the world God's going to give us power and he's going to give us the message to tell, and we do it in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. But would you look with me in verse 9 through 11 because that's what changed my life. Verse 9, it says, And when he had said these things, they were looking on as he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. So something happens in Verse 9, that I really don't know how to explain. Jesus is standing here. He's spoken the words uh, of, of verse, verses 1 through 8. He, he's given the message to the disciples, and then he does this like Star Trek thing. I, I don't know how he did. Pastor, how did he do that? I have no clue. When you're God, you can do whatever you want to. Stand here, be gone there, float on a cloud, you know, fly out like Superman. I, I don't know how it happened. I have no clue. Except for I do know that the disciples were kind of standing like going, golly, I don't know what happened. Like, did we eat Mexican food last night and got, you know, like the solutionation of what's happening in this moment? Jesus was here, now he's gone. And they look around and now there's two angels standing beside them. And the words that the angels spoke changed my life. Because... If I can phrase it just a little bit different, they said, why are you standing here? I mean, did you not hear what Jesus just said? He's given you the power, he's given you the word, and now you need to go. And I'm just telling you, I remember as if it was yesterday, sitting in my office, reading these words and Jesus said to me, I've never heard Jesus speak verbally or audibly, audibly to me, but if he'd have done it, it wouldn't have been any louder. He said, why are you standing here? Now, what you don't know is that in that moment, God had been pulling my heart towards church planting, and I didn't fully recognize it. We had been on some mission trips. This was 2010. They, we had been on some mission trips to South Dakota, and, and uh, they had said, hey, can you pray for God to send church planters to plant more churches because that's where we see the great, greatest gospel influence and the most people saved uh, and, and new churches that are planted. And I did what any good Christian would do, and I was praying for other people to go do that, right? That's how we pray for missions, right? People need to go to Africa. As long as it's not me, I'll give money, you know, whatever. And so I literally was praying that prayer, God, would you send people to go plant churches in South Dakota, and God said, how about you? And I was like, hold on, I think you got the wrong number. You're calling somebody else. You, I, I know you're God and all, but maybe you like misdialed or something. And, and is this is me, it's Doug. You, you didn't call me to go. You called somebody else to go. And, and then I read these verses, and Jesus said, why are you standing here? Because what I realized was I could be replaced where I was, there was nobody where I was supposed to be. And so in that moment, I was humbled. And I was like, God, and if I'm, here's, here's, the, here's the behind the scenes story. In my mind, I'm like, I don't want to. I, I don't want to go. 
Now listen, I don't know if you've ever been to the Panhandle of Texas. That's where we were in 2010. If you've been to the Panhandle of Texas, it is amazingly beautiful if you can't see, all right? It's just flat and ugly, right? You can see for miles and miles and miles so you can know when the tornadoes are coming to try to take your life, all right? Wonderful people there. Uh, And so if God can make you happy in the Panhandle of Texas, it is a miracle. But we were happy. My family was happy. My kids were in a great school. We had the house that we loved. My wife was happy. And if mama's happy, you want to keep her happy. And I was like, God, why would you call us out of this? The church was growing. Things were going well. And he said, why are you standing here? And I said, okay, God, if this is what you're calling us to do, then I'm gonna do what every great spiritual leader of their home should do. And I say, God, if you want us to go, you have to tell my wife, because I'm not telling her. (laughs) Because here's what I knew. I'm a pretty good salesman, and I could convince her, listen, if you love Jesus enough, we should go plant a church in South Dakota. And, and I knew that that wasn't going to be enough. I knew that if God called me, he needed to call her. So I kind of, here's my way out. God, if, if you want us to go, you need to tell her, because I'm not going to say anything about it. Now, just to understand about our marriage, we, we talk about everything. I hear people say, hey, you know, we live different lives. We don't talk about everything. I think that's an unhealthy way to be husband and wife. So Dan and I talk about the good, the bad, the ugly. That means that sometimes we get along and sometimes we have inner conflict or however you want to describe fighting. Uh, you know, we're not, not perfect. So we love each other, but listen, we put it all out there. And sometimes that's easy and sometimes it's hard. So it wasn't like we had this system by which I'm going to keep information from her. So for three weeks, I did what is unnatural to our marriage relationship, and I didn't say a word. And in my mind, I'm like, well, he's not, God's not going to tell her. Like God, I mean, the creator of all the universe, why? He's not going to tell her. And so I just continued to pray. And in my mind, I'm like, well, this, this is my out. And then three weeks later, we're on a trip together and we're talking about our family and about our ministry and we did feel like God was moving us to a different place. We didn't know what that was. She didn't know what, the, what was going on. And, and I, I, she just said, listen, I, I just think God is calling us to do something we've never done before. And I was like, well, I know what that is. I think God wants, to, wants us to go plant a church in South Dakota. Now, ladies, I don't know if that sounds like a romantic view of the future for you, but I thought, well, that'll, that'll fix it. I'll just tell her we're going to South Dakota. And she said, well, if that's where God wants us to be, why would we stay here? The words she said were the words that God spoke to me. Why would you stand here when I've called you to go there? So the short story is that that we moved our life to a place that nobody knew us. We planted a church, as, as Lane said, that we planted four churches out of our church, started a network that now has planted eight other churches. And God did it not because we're smart enough to do that. God did that because he's amazing. And there are literally, what's humbling is that there are literally hundreds of people that will go to heaven instead of hell because of what God did through that one decision. So as we processed doing this again, and we were like, man, it was hard the first time. Why in the world would we do this again? Like, isn't there, God, isn't there something else that you could use us for? 
As we began to pray through, we began to understand the greatest place of peace, the greatest place of joy, the greatest place of favor, the greatest, the greatest success that we can have in this world is not what the world thinks. It's wherever the center of God's will is. And I'm just going to tell you, I have no clue what that is for you. But for me, it's in Longmont, Colorado, because God has called us to leave what was safe in the world's eyes to go do what seems risky in some ways, but I'm just going to tell you, it's probably the safest place I can be because we're under the favor and the hand and the, the place that God wants us to be. So what does that mean for you? How do you live in the center of God's will? I, I, don't, I don't know your story, and I don't know what God is calling you to do, but here's what I do know, that if you're a teacher and God has put you in a school, if you're a factory worker and God has put you on the floor with other people, if you're in an office, if you're in a neighborhood, if you're in a place of business, or you do life with in relationship with people, you just need to understand that there are no accidents that God has placed you in those places so that you can be the gospel influence for his glory and for his honor, so that you can be filled with supernatural power from God to be witnesses to tell of what Jesus has done for you. So I, I, I don't know that God is calling some of you to leave physically where you live and move. He may be doing that, and if he is, I'm just gonna tell you, staying here, you're gonna miss out on the greatest blessing of your life. But God may be asking you to stay in this church, in this community, in your world, but to be more active in your faith and the way that you talk about Jesus because we're more often, uh, uh, we're more likely to talk about the, the best new restaurant or the best new activity than we are about Jesus who has literally saved our eternity. So my challenge to you today is this, that if God asks you to, to step out on faith, to have a conversation, to love somebody who you think may not, even, may not even want to know about Jesus. Can I just tell you, there is no greater joy than obedience and faithfulness to a holy God. We used to sing a song when I was growing up. I, I grew up in a very traditional world and, uh, you know, guitars and drums, we would be headed straight to hell if we'd have done this when I was growing up in, in the world I grew up in. And I, I, I'm so glad to be free of that. But I, we sang a hymn this morning, whether you knew that or not. I grew up singing more hymns, and we used to sing a hymn called, uh, that, that said the words, wherever he leads, I'll go. And I'll just really, be really honest that sometimes we sing songs that we don't really mean the words to. And Dana and I, about 15 years ago, unknowing what God was going to do in our lives, said, listen, whatever God wants to do, we're all in for that. Because I don't want to come to the end of my days and regret some things that we wish that we had done. So wherever he leads, I'll go. Whatever he calls me to do, I'm going to do. That's not just preacher talk. Listen to me very carefully. That's for every single believer in Jesus Christ. We began to pray a prayer when we planted the church, and I'll be really honest, we didn't even know what it really meant. 
We begin to pray a prayer that I base out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that says that God can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And so we begin to pray that God would always do more than we could ever take credit for. So we always knew it was him and it was never us. And when you ask God to show up and to do things that are God-sized, I'm just going to tell you, your life and your faith and your uh, journey with Jesus will change forever. Because... When we talk about what God has done in our ministry and our faith journey, we got, we're like, listen, I can't even stand on the stage. It's not about me. It's all about God. The, the power of life change, the power of the gospel transforming lives, saving marriages, rescuing people and restoring them to be the beautiful people that God has created them to be. I'm just going to tell you, that is not only amazing, it's incredible. But it's not just for a church planner who's moving to Colorado to do something. It's for you. You see, some of you have come in here today and, and you're like, I don't know if my marriage is going to make it. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen next in my life. I don't know what the, the future holds for me. You, you've got a lot of questions. Can I just remind you, God is not confused. He didn't go, COVID? Where did that come from? He, he didn't say, chaos in the political climate of North America, I didn't see that coming. You know, God is never surprised. He's also never without a plan. 16 months ago, we were all going, why has the world stopped? Maybe God's speaking to us. Don't forget that that's still true today. God, I personally believe, you can believe what you want. I believe the world stopped on purpose, that God has a purpose. And I... I I watch the same things online, news, whatever that you do. It's very easy for you to become very negative and to go, listen, the world is going to hell in a handbasket and it's, it's on fire. Everything's a dumpster fire everywhere we turn. Can I just tell you, I believe God has a plan and it's greater than anything that's going on right now. In fact, I, I have more hope now than maybe ever that this could be the time when revival sweeps our land and God changes the nation because electing the next whatever isn't going to change it. Jesus is what's going to change our world. So it's the gospel. So what do we do? Let me give you three things and then I'll close. Number one, we need to pray. We need to pray, God, what do you want from me? What do you want to do in me? What do you want to do through me? How do you want to change me? Where, where, coach, where do you want me to be on the field in play? Here, here's, can I just, is it okay to be honest? I'm going to be honest anyway, so you might as well say yes. But we don't need more believers in Jesus standing in the stands or on the side of the field. We need more players on the field. So technology can be really negative, really positive. It depends on how you use it. We carry these phones in our pockets and they're everywhere. And now, you know, we have access to anything, good or bad. But I, I think it, it can be used for good. Every day at 10.02, an alarm goes off on my phone. And I pray Luke 10.2 that the Lord will send workers into the harvest. We literally live in a, in a city that is surrounded by fields of grain. Like it's almost like a song or something, Right? And literally, I've been reminded since we moved to Colorado that God is calling us to the fields that are white unto harvest. And there's just not enough workers. 
So I pray every day that God would send workers into the field. Can I tell you, there really is not much difference between Longmont, Colorado and Springfield, Missouri. That God is calling us to the fields. There are people who need grace. There are people who need hope. There are people who need to know that there is a Savior and He loves me in spite of who I am. And you don't have to be perfect to come to Jesus, that Jesus will take you right as you are and He will change you for His glory. His supernatural power can change the landscape of your life and you will be a different person, not because of who you are, but because of who He is. So I pray, Lord, what what do you want to do with me? Secondly, can I challenge you to serve? Um, man, I, I know your pastor well enough to know that he stands and he preaches God's word faithfully to you as a church. But can I tell you, if you don't do anything with the information you're giving, it's worthless. God never intended for us to take in information and never do anything with it. The Evangelical Church of North America has... in. in in our day and time, more access to more information and more, uh, more biblical knowledge and theological knowledge than ever in, in the history of the world, and yet we are doing less for the gospel ever than ever before. So my challenge to you is to find a place to serve. Coach, put, put me in. Listen, you, you, one of my favorite movies is Rudy uh, who's the underdog. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but it's a, it's a great movie of the guy who really didn't have the skills, but he had the heart. And so listen, you may say, I, I don't know how God wants to use me. Listen, it doesn't matter. Listen, with God's power, you will be enough. Coach, put me in. Pray, serve, lastly, go. Wh- wherever it is that God is activating you, If that means that you literally need to move from where you are to another place, then I want to challenge you that that God can provide a way, that his way is best. And if you stay here, you're going to wake up one day and wish you had followed God's plan for your life. But God may be asking you to stay right where you are and to be faithful in the season and the place of life where you are. But you need to do something. You need to get on the field and be active and go and share the greatest news that's ever happened. Listen, if the world needs to hear anything today, they need to hear about the hope of Jesus Christ. Pastor, it's really easy for you to say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to tell people. Listen, the greatest evangelistic strategy is you telling your story. I have a friend who says it doesn't matter what evangelism strategy you use, just use one. Here's what I want you to know. You can use whatever strategy you want. There are a ton of them that are great. And if you need that, then you should use that. But the greatest story you'll ever tell is what Jesus has done for you. And if you can memorize one verse, you can tell the gospel. You know John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can tell the goodness of God in, in just a few words. And then tell your story about what Jesus has done for you. Church, we've been, we've been idle too long. We've been comfortable sitting in pews on our blessed assurance way too long. We need to tell the world of the hope of Jesus. That he is enough. If you're here this morning and that's you, that you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, Forget about everybody else who's here. Can you just listen to me for just a moment? Jesus loves you right where you are. 
He knows everything about you. There's nothing you're going to say that's going to surprise him. He knows you're good, you're bad. He knows the spots that nobody else knows about. He knows the things that you think are so much of your darkness. He knows the despair that you feel. And listen, Jesus loves you, not because of the mess you have made, but the hope of who you are to be. Grace is amazing. And there's plenty of it. God never runs out. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, can I just encourage you that you're in a room filled with people who would not want nothing more than for you to find Christ as your personal Savior today. So if that's you, listen, just know it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to have it all together. And it's okay to need a Savior to heal your heart and to redeem you from the pit that you've been walking through for years and years. He wants to do that for you today. Would you pray with me?